Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. All right, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me this morning. Turn to the book of Romans, and uh, we are continuing our sermon series called When in Rome. And um, before, we, before we dive into that, let me, let me say this. I'm very disappointed in all of you, and here's why. Because I've only had one church member bring me the, the pastor tax after I clearly told you that there is a pastor tax for all. And I know that, that there were more Reese's peanut butter cups than this. And so, uh, so anyways, I'm still waiting. They're still, I'm gonna show grace. Also, I also know that um, kids' church has been canceled today, so I know that uh, I'm looking around and there are grandparents and parents with little ones. I'm sensitive to that. Uh, kids, if you, if you uh, act well today in church, I'm a benevolent dictator, and so I will share uh, my, uh, my candy with you after service if, if, you're, if your guardian comes and says, that you behave. Also, there's a science experiment at the very end of the sermon, so just wait for that. All right, <clears throat> Romans chapter four, verses 16 through 25 um, is where we're gonna be this, uh, this morning. We're, we're really gonna look at all of Romans four, but that's kind of the bulk of, of where we're gonna hang out. Um, I was thinking about, about this message this past week, and, um, and I came across this story that I wanted to open up with that I think really kind of helps capture what Paul is doing here at the end of Romans four. So some years ago, and then it really in the, uh, in the kind of early 2000s, uh, there was this uh, art collector named uh, Domenico de Soleil. And, uh, and he loved collecting art. And, um, and he wasn't just any kind of art collector. Uh, he, he was someone who was really deeply involved in that kind of industry. Uh, at one point, um, he was the chairman of Sotheby's, which is this known as this premier auction house for all, all kinds of fine arts and things like that. At one point, he was the CEO of Gucci, so he loved fashion as well. Uh, and, uh, and so he, he, he always looked for deals on art, and he, and he wanted to collect his, uh, his, bring his own collection. And alongside him, his wife, Eleanor, shared an equal appreciation for all these kinds of things. And, and so their passion was for art and they prided themselves on their collection. Now, in 2004, they purchased together uh, this, this painting by a famous American artist named Mark Rothko. And, uh, and they had been looking for, for that kind of uh, painting for a long time. And uh, to own a Rothko was a big deal for them. Uh, it, it, some people have described Rothko art as more than just a painting, but as an experience. And so he had these abstract paintings with luminous bands of light uh, in them. And, uh, and he and his wife, Eleanor, went to this well-known gallery in New York, and they found exactly what they were looking for, and to the tune of $8.3 million, they paid for this painting. And so as they brought this into their collection, they started to showcase it at their house. So the invitations were sent out and the dinners were had and the conversations were taking place and, and people were so impressed with their collection, especially with this Rothko. However, it all came crashing down around 2011 
when the gallery that they had bought it from, the Nodler Gallery in New York, one of the more prestigious galleries in all of the country, uh, there were accusations that some of their paintings were forgeries. And, uh, and so, so uh, some investigators started to look into this and what they determined and what they learned was that over the course of 15 years, there was a painter in Queens, New York that was forging all kinds of paintings and they had sold these forgeries for $60 million to the sum of $60 million over the course of 15 years. So you can imagine what Domenico and his wife Eleanor must have felt whenever they picked up the phone and uh, the investigator had told them, the painting that you spent $8.3 million on was not made by Mark Rothko, it was made by just some unknown forger uh, in Queens, New York. Now, when I, when I read that story, I began to think to myself, the devastating feeling they must have had to realize that they had invested so much into the wrong thing, so much into the wrong thing. You know, in life, I think we often imitate the day soleils and that we invest it, uh, that we invest our lives in the wrong things. And I'm not talking necessarily about financial things like stocks. Uh, I'm not talking about sport franchises like the Dallas Cowboys. Um, go Texas Rangers, by the way. How about them Rangers, right? But I'm talking about spiritual things this morning. I'm talking about what it means to invest our life in the wrong kind of spiritual things. So what Paul's doing here in Romans chapter four is he wants to show us where we ought to be investing our lives. And listen, this is not gonna be some kind of groundbreaking message where we're learning some new uh, kind of difficult, complex theological truths. It's going to be hopefully a fresh way of understanding some very basic things that you've learned in Sunday school, that you've learned in sermons, that you've learned over the years, things like faith and things like grace. But what Paul's gonna do here in Romans 4 that hopefully is a little bit unique for us this morning is he shows how, how God is putting all of these different things together because God does not operate in a vacuum. So this is why, and this is what's so beautiful about the book of Romans. We talked about the Imago Dei, and then we talked about original sin, and then we brought those together a couple of weeks ago. And, and so we've been talking about grace, and, and we've we're, today we're talking about faith, and, and Paul is bringing all of these things together. And so what he's doing is he's showing us where we ought to invest our lives, and the, the place in which we ought to invest our lives is into God's grace with our faith. We take this commodity called faith and we invest it in something that we know is, is truly authentic and it is God's grace. So here's today's sermon in a sentence. It's the reliability of our faith depends on the object of God's grace powered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a couple of different things I want you to see this morning. The first one is this, from this uh, passage, the first one is that biblical faith relies on the object of God's grace. Our faith, biblical faith, which by the way is not some blind leap. The word faith in Greek actually means there's a calculation to that. And so as Christians, we're not just jumping off of the, the cliff and just kind of hoping that God is gonna catch us, but God has revealed himself as we've seen in Romans in such a way to know that he is the, the one who created all things. We have this general revelation and special revelation. He has exhausted himself. Even in the, in the parables in the gospels, we see that there are people who just refuse to believe that even if people rose from the dead, they would still uh, ch uh, choose to not believe in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul begins to do here is to show us that biblical faith relies on the object of God's grace. Look with me, look with me there at verse 16, whenever he, he says, for this reason, it is by faith. 
For this reason, that's how the New American Standard Bible uh, translates this. For this reason. This is a, a key verse and probably, probably the foundation to understanding Paul's argument regarding the principle of faith that he's talking about here in Romans 4. In other words, if you and I want to understand biblical faith, if someone were to show up uh, and, and meet you on the street and say, hey, you're one of those Christians, right? Tell me, how do you define faith? How do you understand faith? In verse 16, Paul is going to do us a solid and he's gonna help us to understand what faith is. It's a word that he uses nine different times in Romans 4 alone and 40 different times in the whole chapter. And so what he wants us to do is he's going to, uh, for this reason, is going to reflect on everything he has said in chapters one through three, and also everything he said in verses one through 15 in chapter four. In other words, when he says, for this reason, it's a stopping point where he's saying, hey, listen, let's just pause, take a deep breath. Let's reflect on everything I've been saying in this long letter, okay? So what's, what's he saying? Well, let's summarize chapters one through three, which is everything we've already spent the last couple of months on, which in a sense is this, it's the universality of human uh, sinfulness. And so what that means is that we are all original sin. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For this reason, we have to live by faith. For this reason that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. All humanity is guilty. This is what he says in Romans 1. He says, the universal sinfulness of humanity. In chapter 2, it's about how Jews are also under sin. Uh, in chapter three, it's about all humanity is guilty. He is just, he, he is helping us to understand that we are all sinners. And so the, uh, the point of everything he's doing there in, in chapters one through three is to tell us the inability of the law to save you, the inability of your works to save you. I'm telling you, there are so many of us who in the back of our minds, we listen, and I, this sermon, this point has been labored in almost every chapter that Paul has given us. In fact, in every chapter in Romans so far, that your works cannot save you. And yet, I really believe that in the back of our minds, we still think, you know what? I hear what you're saying, Jared, but I just know you don't understand all the good things that I've done, all the money I've given, all the, the people I've helped. I'm telling you, God, when I stand before God, he's going to be so impressed with me, but Paul is trying to help us understand that's just not the way it works. And so, in fact, the scriptures describe our, our works like filthy rags. And, and the reason so is because God is so holy. He is beyond comprehension when it comes to how holy he is. And so when we think that we can impress God with our works, it's, it's kind of like um, when I take my kids to the park, especially when they're, when they're little like Justice's age, and they're out there playing and they see um, a, a, a little patch of weeds that kind of look like flowers. You know, they sprout into something yellow or white. And they'll pick that one of those little weeds that begin to die immediately, by the way. And they bring them to you and, and, they, and they say, look, I picked this for you, and it's such a sweet thing. But when they bring it to you, think about their perspective. Their perspective is, I found this beautiful, rare orchid, and I'm gonna take it to the one I love the most, and he or she will be so impressed with me. And then from the parent's perspective, we're like, what do I do with this thing? 
And then a gust of wind comes and blows it off and we're like, oh yeah, we saved it, you know, we saved it. But this is how the Bible describes our works before God. It's these filthy rags that we bring to him and we think that we're bringing him this pristine iron shirt or, or that with, has no blemishes, but really we're bringing him these, these filthy rags. And this is what Paul wants us to understand. This is what I would describe as Paul's defense of biblical faith. And so what he wants to do is this. A lot of us are standing on a foundation of our works and, and we have sure footing, or at least we think we do. And Paul wants to come and he wants to kick out that foundation from underneath us and help us understand you cannot stand before a holy God on the foundation of your works. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And so what he's, this is everything he's saying in, in chapters one through three, but now here in chapter four, he's going to go on the offensive. And so he not only wants to kick out the foundation from underneath our feet, he wants to put the right foundation underneath you. So that when you stand before God, you're not standing on something that is like sinking sand. You're standing on something that God has given us to stand on. And the word he gives us in verse 16 is this, it is the word grace. Look there, for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with what? With your works? No, with, with grace. So he's going on the offensive and he's giving us something. He, uh, listen, the Bible is not just about telling us what not to do. This is how Christianity is often understood outside of these walls. Oh, I don't wanna be a Christian. All you guys do is make life no fun. Y'all just tell us what we can't do. No, what, what God wants to do is not just destroy the things that would destroy us, he wants to build us up. And so he wants us to stand on the right foundation. And the right foundation there in verse 16 is God's grace, which he describes as the promise. Look there again with me. For this reason, what reason? Chapters one through three, all of humanity is sinful the defense of the biblical faith. It is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all of the descendants. What does, what does he mean by promise? Well, this is the promise that God gave to Abraham. As we continue reading in verse 16, it says, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Well, again, Paul is talking to believers here and he's talking about the faith that Abraham had that was passed down from generation to generation to generation all the way to these Roman believers here in Rome. And, uh, and so God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. This comes from Genesis 17, Genesis 22. And this is outlined also in Romans 4. So remember, for this reason, it's not only talking about Romans 1 through 3, but it's also talking about Romans 4 at the very beginning. Look there with me at verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, well, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was justified not by his works, but he was justified by faith. In other words, his, this promise was not based on the foundation of the law or our works, but God's promise was based on his own grace, what he wants to gift to you, not what you can bring to God. There's a big difference between those two things. So what he's doing is he's tying all of this together with the idea of faith. And I want you to notice how he describes Abraham's faith in verses 20 and 21. Yet with respect to the promise of God, Abraham, he did not waver in unbelief, Paul says, but what happened? He grew strong in the faith. 
and he gave glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And so he talks here about his unwavering faith, that Abraham, when he stood before God, it wasn't what he did for God, it wasn't his works, it was his faith. And the idea here is not to chronicle necessarily Abraham's faith and his journey, but to offer a blueprint for all of us to understand what we also need to do in order to be able to stand before God. But I want you to notice again in verse 16, it's not just faith, and this is the critical point here that Paul's making, it's not just faith, but it's God's grace. Here's something really important for us to understand. Your faith doesn't save you. Your faith doesn't save you. Your strong faith doesn't save you. It's God's grace that saves you. Listen, if it was just your faith that saved you, then it would still be your work. You would stand before God and you'd say, look how much faith I had, God, in you. Look how great, look how great my faith is. But it's not, it's not your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is God's grace. So I have this friend, um, I've mentioned him before. He was my uh, student pastor. His name's Denny. He actually pastors right down the road at Sagamore Baptist Church. I preached at his church when I came in view of a call uh, for the search team here. And uh, Denny was my student pastor. He uh, prayed with me, led me to the Lord, was, was such a great example for me uh, whenever I was getting in um, to the Christian faith and uh, becoming a, a pastor. Well, at one point, Denny left First Baptist Gun Barrel City where I uh, was saved and baptized and surrendered to the ministry. And he went to this church called First Baptist Church Leonard. And I was probably 19 or 20 at the time. And, and I remember one, uh, one Sunday night, I was, I was at home and in my apartment and I was, uh, and this was early when churches were streaming and getting video done, but they had a video of the sermon he had preached. And I just wanted to go and listen to his sermon. And when I went on there to listen, um, uh, by the way, they did have video back then. My nine-year-old asked me, Dad, were there cars when you were little? <laughs> yes, there were cars and there, there, there was uh, streaming whenever I was uh, 20. And so this video was on there and, uh, and, I, and I turned it on and Denny was preaching on a similar subject to what I'm talking to you about right now, the object of our faith being God's grace. And so back then, there, there, it was a little different. Churches still had that pastor pew up here. Do you know what I'm talking about? That little half pew that the pastor sat on, you know, and looked at everyone to make sure you were singing during the songs. And, and so he was preaching and he said, you know what? He said, let me illustrate what I'm talking about. And I don't know if he planned this or not, but he went and he, I don't think he did because he started jumping on that pew to talk about how it was holding him up. Well, the problem was the pew was not bolted down and it did not hold him up. And so he jumped on that and he said, I, you know, I can stand on God's grace the way I'm standing on this pew. And he began to fall back. And then his church team, don't ever do this to me, by the way, church, uh, sound team and they, the media team, they took it, they put it in slow motion, put Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers free falling with him falling backwards. And then they sent it off to America's home, uh, funniest home videos and he got third place. And, um, and I was thinking about that illustration this past week as I was looking at this because I was thinking, you know, the irony is that uh, in trying to illustrate this point, that it, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, it's the strength of God's grace. That Denny ac accidentally actually illustrated the point. Because there is literally nothing else in this world 
that we can put our investment in, that we can put our faith in that will be able to hold us up, especially your own works. And that's the beauty about God is, is we try to take him and we try to, to put him in these boxes of illustration sometimes. And, and I don't think that's necessarily bad unless you create some kind of theological heresy, which sometimes we do, but like the, the, the Trinity, trying to understand the Trinity, sometimes we take God and, and we say, well, you know, the Trinity is kind of like water, you know, uh, ice and, and liquid and, and so on and so forth. But the problem is anytime you try to, to illustrate God in those kinds of ways, you do commit some kind of heresy. And that's kind of the point is that God and in in, in the very nature of God is not something that we can illustrate. And that itself is the illustration. When it comes to the strength of God's grace, the strength of God's grace is that God's grace alone is what is strong enough for you and strong enough for me. It's not anything else that we can put underneath our feet and stand on because it's always going to fall out from underneath us. And so again, what we see here is this. We see the idea that when it comes to our strength, it's the object of our faith, which is God's grace, which is where we find our strength. Here's the second thing that we wanna see because the question then be begins to kind of rise to the surface, which is this. Well, how strong is God's grace, Jared? I mean, if I'm gonna take my life and I'm going to invest it in something in which I'm never gonna be disappointed, in which I know I'm gonna be able to stand before God one day, then, then what is it? How, how do I know God's grace is strong? Well, thankfully, what God does is he, he showed us vividly the strength of his grace. And so the second and final point this morning is this, that the power of God's grace is the resurrection of Jesus. So look with me at verses 23 and 24 of chapter four. It says, now not only for his sake was it written that it was credited to him, talking about Abraham's deal, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what Paul does, and I love this, is he looks backwards to a man of faith that lived 2,000 years before the resurrection of Jesus. He wanted you to see, living 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, he wanted to give you an example, 4,000 years old, that is so strong that it, that it has survived the test of time. So he points back to Abraham, and he points back to a faith that looked forward to something that would happen 2,000 years from his time, and he's telling us now, today, living 2,000 years after that event of the resurrection, that God's grace is still that strong. That whenever we look at the resurrection of Jesus, it's not anything that will ever fall out from beneath our feet. And so the point is that Paul wants us to see that grace is realized through the power of the re resurrection. Notice the nature of the resurrection here in verse 25. He says, he who delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our, trans, uh, our justification. And so what he tells us here are a couple of things. Number one, he tells us the reason Jesus rose from the dead is because first off, he died. Why did he die? Because of you, because of me, because of our sin, because of our works. Because of the very things that we like to t take and we like to say, well, I'm gonna show them to God one day and he'll let me into heaven. Paul says, actually, no, those things are the things that will keep you from getting into heaven. As Jonathan Edwards has said, that the only thing that we contribute to salvation is a sin that made it necessary. 
So he wants us to understand our transgressions and that's why Jesus rose from the dead. But the second thing he wants us to understand is the power of God's grace in Jesus's resurrection. You see, without Jesus's resurrection, faith is hopeless. You can have as strong of a faith as you want, but it's not gonna go anywhere and it's not gonna mean anything if Jesus is still dead. So it's not just your faith. Some of us have faith, but the faith has no object. It's just there. Well, I have faith. I just hope. I just believe. Believe in what? Have hope in what? Have faith in what? Paul's giving us a strong object of God's grace, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And so I love what he's doing here because he is connecting all the dots for us. And again, this is not like groundbreaking for those of us who have known Jesus for a long time, but I hope that it'll put some things together in a way that maybe you've never thought of before. And so um, I hope this works. Typically these things you know, get a little uh, tricky whenever you're trying to do them live. Um, but I wanna show you um, an illustration of what Paul is doing here uh, when it comes to faith, grace, and the resurrection. And so imagine with me for a minute <clears throat> that, um, that this battery is, uh, this battery obviously is, is, is power and this is uh, a symbol for Jesus's resurrection. And, uh, and then we have this little light bulb here, which I know is real small. Um, and uh, this light bulb is an illustration for God's grace. And so God's grace resting on the power of the resurrection. And then we have this little wire here, which we're gonna say represents our faith. And so whenever you have faith in God's grace by the power of the resurrection, what tends to happen is this. Let's see if I can get this going. Can you guys see that light bulb? When you put this together, you see the circuit that brings it all together in a way where God's grace is illuminated in our life. And I share that with you this morning because some of us, we're not taking the right kind of conductor called faith. We're taking something like this. This is a string that has all of these, these threads that are woven together. And there's a lot of thread here. There's a lot. And some of us are taking something like this and we're trying to make it work. But of course, it's not gonna conduct the power of the resurrection to illuminate grace. Why? Because the properties of the string are inauthentic. They're a forgery. And some of us are investing our lives in something that is not going to illuminate the power of the resurrection in our life. And we're gonna stand before God like this and he's gonna say, the light bulb's not on, buddy. And so what we need is faith in God so that his grace illuminates and the way that we stand with our faith is this. We look to the example that Jesus has given us by the power of the resurrection. And this is the beauty of Paul's argument here in Romans chapter four. He's bringing all these things together and he's, and he's showing us that by faith we're connected to the resurrection power of Christ and through that connection, the grace of God can be illuminated in us. Here in Romans four, the relationship between God's grace and the resurrection of Jesus 
is that the resurrection is the affirmation and guarantee of God's promise that he gave to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus even rose from the dead. And it's the guarantee of God's promise of grace and righteousness to those who believe now 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the resurrection is God's seal of approval on his promise of grace. This changes everything. This is the difference between the Christian God and any other deity out there. In fact, it's the difference between theism and deism even. What is deism? Thank you for asking. Deism is this idea of this distant, uninvolved God, which is a stark contrast to the Christian God. By the way, deism is, is really more of the heritage of, um, of our country than theism is. You don't see Jesus Christ as Lord, for example, in our founding documents. That <clears throat> that's clear, uh, brings some clarity for the difference between the Roman world and the kingdom of God. And so what we see with what Paul's saying in Romans 4 is that the resurrection of Jesus is the the linchpin of this distinction. Because deism posits a, a distant, uninvolved God. And the resurrection changes that for us. You see, the resurrection is not merely a historical event or just a point of doctrine. It's a testament of God's active involvement in humanity, in this world, in history, in our lives. Where deism just kind of portrays God as just creating and now he's just like a clockmaker who's just distant and doesn't care from a distance, as the song says. But no, that's not how Paul's portraying God and that's not how God reveals himself. God reveals himself as a very involved God and the resurrection underscores that God isn't indifferent. He's not distant. Instead, through Jesus, he directly confronts the brokenness in this world. He confronts it, he defeats it, And he asks us to place our faith in him and he will give us the gift of grace which can illuminate what we call salvation. You see, the reliability of your faith is not in the strength of your faith. It's not in anything that you can do for God. It's on the object of God's grace which is powered by the resurrection of Jesus. Now, some of of you here this morning are listening or tuning in and you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, man, I've never thought of that before. And, and And I've come to realize or I'm wondering, Pastor Jared, if, if this is a symbol of my faith, if, if I'm just kind of interweaving all of these different works and I'm just kind of hoping that one day when I stand before God, he's just gonna be impressed with how strong my faith is or how strong my life is and all the things I was able to do. But the, the problem with that is it's just, it's the wrong conductor. It, it doesn't connect, it doesn't, it doesn't connect your life to God. As Paul told the church in Ephesus, it's by God's grace through your faith. And so what he wants to do with you this morning is he wants you to understand what true faith is. Faith in what God has done for you, not faith in what you can do for God. And so if you're wondering what it means and what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, then I want you to consider going to our website and just clicking a button uh, that says, No Jesus, and that'll send an email straight to me and I'll respond to you today to talk with you about the power of the resurrection of Jesus and how he died in your place for your sins. Now, the rest of us who know Jesus, what do, what do we do with this information? What do we do with this? Well, I, uh, I was thinking even this morning about how we can end this. And, uh, and let me just kind of be personal and tell you what this means for me. It relieves me. I don't know about some of you, but being raised in church sometimes makes the faith 
And this is not to knock the church. The church has done a, a lot of great things. But just being raised in the Christian faith, sometimes what, what tends to come upon me in my faith is kind of this works-based faith, which is that, well, when you wake up, you have to spend 10% of your day, 2.4 hours of your day with the Lord, and you have to read through the whole Bible in a year, and you have to pray for 60 minutes until you fall asleep. And if you fall asleep, by the way, then, then you better open your eyes and beg for forgiveness, all that kind of stuff. And, and so we walk around with this kind of shame in our lives because we never feel like we're good enough. We never feel like we're good enough. Because even though we, we know, well, it's not my works, we still act like it. Why? Because that's how we've been discipled. I think what Paul's doing in Romans 4, especially with the Jewish believers there, is he's trying to help them to understand, yeah, the law had its point. Works has its place. But it's not the point. It's not the point. It was always designed to point forward to something else, and that something else is Jesus. And so I loved earlier, just a minute ago, when we sang that song, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. I love that song. I, I, on my bucket list is to sing that song uh, in a cathedral with concrete cinder block walls and just the voices of God's people just kind of resonating and bouncing off of that. And so I've asked, I texted Jason during the, the song and I said, hey, can we just sing that as the people of God as we close out the service today as a response to the power of God's grace? Can we just let our voices ring and, and just declare that God is our fortress and not our own works? Let's stand together as we pray. Father in heaven, we, um, we come to you this morning as your people, recognizing, Lord, the power of the resurrection and our faith in you and the grace that you give us that belongs to you, that you so benevolently give to us, Lord, that you so kindly give to us. And so, Lord, I want to pray today that as we're reflecting upon this message in Romans chapter 4, and as we sing these lyrics, that, Lord, it would just be an opportunity for us to ponder upon your power. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.